Blog Talk Radio. Well, good evening, people of God, and welcome to the Word on Wednesday. This is Pastor Winfred Burns of Word Worship and Witness Ministries, and we are delighted to be with you tonight as we continue our journey through 1 Samuel. Tonight, as we continue this Bible study, the name of it is Transition to Transformation. And in this Bible study, what we've seen is the transforming power of God, how God has taken uh, this, these 12 tribes who were not unified, who were in the place of promise, but be but because of their disobedience, were constantly being harassed by the enemy, uh, constantly having their possessions taken, uh, oftentimes enslaved. We talked about that early and on and the reasons for it. And God began to transform them into a unified nation. We also talked about how God moves them from a theocratic rule, or God as the head, to a rule of uh, a monarch. And now this monarch was supposed to be God's representative here on earth who had submitted himself to God. But what we saw, what we see is what happens when the people choose a king and God and what happens when God chooses a king? We looked at Saul and how he represents the flesh and how he represents uh, a man who is not concerned about uh, what God wants and does not recognize God. And, and we contrast him with David, who is described as a man after God's own heart. And for the past several weeks, what we've been seeing with David is David in the refiner's fire. And that's been a thesis that we've had since, oh, I'm going to say about uh, for the last six weeks, I think, as we watch how David goes through trials and tribulations and what the purpose of these trials and tribulations are. And the thing that we learned early on is that trials and tribulations are for our perfecting. It's God perfecting us in holiness. It's God teaching us to walk up right before him. It's God revealing himself and his power towards us. It's God teaching us how to rest in his word. And we've seen how God has protected David, how God has provided for David. As a matter of fact, when it comes to protection, we saw just a couple of weeks ago how Saul almost had him. But now we come into a segment, and we started this last week, where David's moral character is being refined. And last week when we we went through chapter 24, the thing that we really uh, stressed is that David understood that Saul was God's anointed. And that and I think our thesis last week was dealing with our enemies and we talked about how to deal with our enemies and then we came to the conclusion that God does not want us to take revenge on our enemies. When when they get under our power, God doesn't want us to just take advantage and just kill them or do something bad to them. But instead the word teaches us to Bless them. The word teaches us to give them life and not death. And to trust him in terms of what he's going to do with him. And that thing kind of continues on this week in chapter 25 as David evaluated and refined. Because now one of the things that we have to remember is that David's a man. He's an anointed man of God, but he's a man. He's a spirit-filled man of God, but he's a man. And so tonight, as we examine chapter 25, there's some, there's some principles that we're going to, to discover, and we hope that these principles that, that we share with you 
will be will you will be able to apply them into your life because what you learn tonight will have a huge impact on your ability to move forward in God. Amen. Uh, let's pray, and then I want to I want to invite I want to offer Christ to uh, some of our listeners who perhaps don't know Him, and then we'll dive right into the lesson. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to give you thanks. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing uh, a number of aspects of your word to us. Now, Father, we need you to speak to us tonight. We need you to speak to our heart. We need your spirit to, to give, empower us to do what the word says do. Father, the word will inform us, but it is your spirit that transforms us. So we need word and spirit tonight. And we don't have control of your spirit. We can merely ask for them. We don't have control of your word tonight. You have control of it, and you can bring it to life by your spirit. So speak to us tonight, Father. Speak to us tonight that we might learn to be pleasing in your sight and fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might do what you command us to do. Oh, God, strengthen our faith tonight because without faith, uh, your word's going to be dead in us. So teach us to act on it. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before I go any further, let me just say this. God's got a gift for you. If you've never responded, Receive the gift of salvation, you need to, by faith, reach out and get that gift. And that gift of salvation comes through you professing your faith in Jesus Christ. You in your heart have already know that Jesus is the Son of God. You know that he died for your sins. And sometimes we, we, we just never stop to take time to acknowledge that Jesus died for our sins. And God set him for us. And we just don't do anything about that. And tonight what I need you to do is if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, if you believe that, that, that if you accept him into your life, he'll, he'll save you and give you that salvation, then why don't you confess that tonight? Why don't you say, Lord, you died for my sins. And I ask you to be my Savior. Please forgive me. Please touch me. Please send me to a place where I can learn more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if, if you want to talk more about salvation, that's the, you just got the two cents version of it. But if you want to talk more about salvation, you can contact me uh, via Periscope or uh, you can call me uh, at 929-477-2304. And we can talk more about that. But the main thing is that you need to get saved. You need to give your life to Christ. You need to learn to walk with him. And you want to do that. That's that cry of your heart right now. God, I want you. And if you really want God, give your life to Jesus. Amen? That's, that's, that's the two-cents version of it. Now, with that said, let's pick up from where we left off, because last week when we left off in chapter 24, after David refuses to kill Saul when he has the opportunity, he reveals himself to Saul, and he challenges Saul and says, look, let the Lord judge between the two of us. I'm not going to be your judge. God is. And, and it so impresses Saul. Saul comes to his senses for a few minutes. Notice I say for a few minutes, because he asked David for favor. He asked David, when you come into, when, I know God going to make you king, and when you come, when you get the job, when he sets you on the throne, don't wake my family up, don't kill my family. And he also asked him, he says, he says, and don't cut my name off from my family. And David agrees to do that. So we pick up this week at a very, very important point. And what, I'm, what I need you to do is I need you to grab your Bibles, go to 1 Samuel chapter 25, and let's work our way through this. 
I'm going to start reading uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25. It says, Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. This precludes, this concludes rather, the era of judges. Samuel is the last judge of Israel. And this Samuel, who God has used greatly to restore the priesthood, to restore um, worship within the nation, to anoint two kings, this Samuel is now called and it marks the end of his life on earth. I'm going to say it one more time. It marks the end of his life on earth. And what a picture of a godly man. Samuel, you, you, found, you find no fault in Samuel. The only blemish by his name is his sons who help precipitate the nation asking for a king. Samuel has been faithful with the word of God. Samuel has been faithful to carry out everything that God has ordered him to do. And I think right now it's just a good thing to pause and reflect on Samuel just for a second. And as we pause and reflect, I, I, I pause and reflect because I look at my life and I look at Samuel's life and I ask the question, wow, I sure wish I had a testimony like that. I sure wish that my life is viewed by the outsiders as a life lived in obedience to God, doing what God commanded me to do, full of his Samuel was raised that way from a little boy. Go back and review the story of Samuel and his life when you get a chance. And, and let's thank God for men like Samuel. There's still some Samuels walking the earth right now. I know a lot of things that we hear about pastors and a lot of things that we hear about preachers and, and men and women of God are, are negative. But there are men and women who are living lives of obedience who walk upright before God and do before God what is pleasing to him. And that's what I'd like my testimony to be, and I thank God that slowly but surely I'm getting there. He's preparing me. He's shaping me. He's scraping some stuff off of me. He's mending and molding and making me into the man that he wants me to be. And it's men like Samuel are helping to do that job. Hallelujah. Samuel is dead. So let's pick up at the second verse. Then David moved down into the desert of Maon. A certain man in Maon who had, who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a cableite, was surly and mean in his dealings. I want to stop right there. Let's talk about these characters that we see tonight. We see that David, apparently, and I don't know this for a fact, it just says that, so, that the whole nation mourned Saul. And when we last saw David, he was, uh, where was David at? David was, um, I forgot. <laughs> He's moving around so much. Let's see. Let's see. Hang on. I got I to gotta retrace. I got to retrace his steps real quick. Okay, there he is. David is in the, the last time we see David, David is in the desert of Engendai. And now he's down in Maon. Now, to understand where Maon is, in Jendai, if you look on the map, in Jendai, or in Jedi rather, is um, about, it's about midway up 
right in the middle of uh, just before you cross the Dead Sea. Now, if you travel south, okay, and you go past Hebron, which will later be David's capital city um, or his base of operation, you go south and you get toward the tip of the Dead Sea as you go far south as you can if you're looking on a map, and then go down a little farther, and you'll see you'll see um, Maon, the desert of Maon, and you'll see Carmel, a little uh, just slightly north of it. So it's in this vicinity that David come, that David now comes to. Now I want you to note: go all the way back up and go to go north, and then go west, just north of Jerusalem, I believe it is. Uh, you'll see Gibeah. Now Gibeah is in the land in the territory of Benjamin, but as you come just beneath Gibeah begins the border that um, that delineates the land that God gave to the tribe of Judah. So Saul's headquarters is in the land of of Benjamin, and what David has done is David has moved as far away from Saul as he can, and he's down actually um, in enemy territory almost. He's still in Judah, but he's right in between, he's right at that border of Judah and the enemies, and I think it was the Ammonite territory down in that area. You can check that out later on, but he's sitting right on the border. And so David is doing everything that he can to stay away from Saul. You don't want no parts of it. So he goes down into Maon, and down in Maon, he he he. There's this there's this prosperous man, and notice they said he's a Cableite. So first of all, what you need to know is he is a he's kin to David. David is from the tribe of Judah. The the uh, Cable, the Cableites are descendants of Caleb. So he's descendant. He's a descendant of a great man of faith who is given land in the um, in Judah's territory. Go back and read uh, Exodus. And go, go back and read Ex, Exodus. Yeah, no, read Numbers. Read Numbers, and that's where they parcel out the land, I believe. And you'll see the land that they're given. That's those kinds of things. Those details, you know, are. Those, de- those, those are the types of details that help you understand later on things that are happening, and that's why I kind of stress, go in. This is not a sermon. This isn't a sermon, because if it was a sermon, I wouldn't touch any of this. I go straight to the preaching part. But right now we're laying the foundation to receive the word that is going to give us life, and sometimes on Sunday mornings uh, what we get is just the highlight. But on a Wednesday night Bible study, what you can do, or any Bible study, what you could do is you could dig into the meat and you could take your time. So, you know, you guys know that I love eating, and so this is like eating neck bones. You don't rush through this. This is not a chicken breast. This is neck bones. And when you eat neck bones, you know you got to work with a neck bone. And so that's what we're doing. We're, we, this word is a neck bone tonight. We got to, we got to take our time with it. Amen. So anyway, David is down in the desert of Maon, and he is dealing, he's now coming into contact with Nabal and Abigail. Now, Abigail, the the scripture tells us, she was intelligent and she was fine. This was was brains and she had that Coca-Cola package going. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And Nabal, on the other hand, he is described as being surly and mean. That word surly derives from a Hebrew word that means tough, inflexible, harsh, severe, yet powerful. And mean is derived from a word that, and if memory serves me correctly, mean comes from a Hebrew word ra, R-A, which means wicked, unpleasant, giving pain and causing unhappiness, inferior quality. So what we have here 
in a nutshell. Nabal, whose name means fool, is a person of who suffers from moral inferiority. Specifically, his, his, his character is morally deficient. He is a wicked man. He is anti-God. And here he is a descendant of one of the great men of faith. And this is what he has grown into. And it also, a lot of it centers around his own greed. He thinks he's shrewd. He thinks he's smart. When he gets you in a deal, he's going to try to knuckle you under. If he loan you some money, he's going to loan it with great interest. If you owe him something and it's due today, it's due today with interest, period. Otherwise, I'm taking everything from He wanted them. And the Bible says that he is, his name means fool. Now, you know, a lot of times when we, when we think about fool, we think about a person who's just stupid or ignorant or does not know. That's not the biblical definition of fool. When the Bible calls somebody a fool, what the Bible, the Bible definition of fool is someone who is morally deficient. There is a moral deficiency within them. Now, let's take a look at, 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 at some, how the Bible describes a fool. First of all, I want you to turn, and I'm, I'm, I need to spend some time with this, simply because the title of this lesson is Don't Fool With Them. Don't fool with them. Remember that. Remember that, because I'm going to come back to that later on. But let's define fool real quick. The Bible says that fool, a fool is a person who says in his heart. Look at Psalms 14.1. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. And so the first thing that we can see is that morally deficient person is morally deficient because he denies the existence of God. And names and characters are often, names and character are oftentimes um, uh, uh, connected. You were named after, according to your character. And so this person, Nabal, is a person who is morally deficient because he does not recognize God. Second thing about fools, it says, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. And that's Proverbs 14.8. So fools not only disregard God, but fools are deceivers. Thirdly, just and and if you go into your concordance and just uh, um, just uh, look up the word fool in your concordance, the Bible will give you so many descriptions of a fool that you, it'll, it'll take you a couple of days to get through all of them. But I want to give you one more. It says, "Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult." And that's a setup for the the, the next part. Okay. Uh, and, and I already told you that David and Nabal are kin. So you got this man after God's own heart, and he kin to this, this Nabal who just don't even believe God. Amen? So we, have, we, we, we got that working against us. Now, let's go here. Let's keep going. Um, verse 4. 1 Samuel 25, verse 4. Stay with me. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep, so he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, Nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, 
be favorable toward my young men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servant, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their master these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords, and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. David makes a request of Nabal, and the re some people think that the request is payment for services rendered. I'm going to disagree with that. I'm going to disagree with him with that because if I come to you and present you with a bill, that's a request. But David, what David is requesting of Nabal is neighborly kindness. Mm -hmm. That's what that's all he's asking for. There is and he's asking not according to what David thinks he is owed, but he is asking according to what the law required. He feels that, that, that Nabal has returned evil for good. Uh, let, me just read you, let me just read to you what um, um, Nabal's response. Part of Nabal's response, basically, when and that, 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 that portion and I'm moving a little fast because we've got so much to go. I'm getting ready to slow down because if we have to do this in two lessons, we just have to do it in two lessons. It says, look at verse 10, 11. No, verse 10. Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. What that basically, the translation of this is, this, he, he probably ain't, he ain't nothing but a runaway slave. I believe, based upon this story, that Dave, that Nabal knows about David, that Nabal knows that David has been in the area, and he also knows that 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 David, that David is running from Saul, and so he, you know, I ain't got to give him nothing. You know, he's a he's a he's a refugee. But the Bible tells us in, what is it, Isaiah 32 and 6, listen to this. For fools speak folly. Their hearts have been on evil. They practice ungodliness and spread error concerning the Lord. The hungry they leave empty, and from the thirsty they withhold water. Proverbs 18 and 7 says, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. When, when, when our neighbor says that to, Saul, to uh, David's servant, he has opened up a war. He has provoked a war and doesn't even know it. He got no idea what he did. He's just running his mouth. And I know that many of us know folk and are folk that sometimes run their mouth too much, not knowing what they're saying, but just saying it because they can say it. And the Bible teaches us that we have to be, that we are accountable for our words and that the words are powerful and that life and death is in the tongue. And I was just reminded today that we, I need to learn how to speak life at all times because these words are powerful. And, and, and think about being powerful. If your, if your words are like bullets, and you run here just rat -ta 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 with them with that tongue of yours, and then, and you just 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 tearing stuff down all the time. Don't you think that 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 you're gonna be held accountable for that? And that's why we are taught to be blessings and not to run around cursing folks to speak life and not death. And so 
I have to I have to watch what I say sometime, and we all need to watch what we say. And David, these words that that Nabal sends back to him, they get David mad because first of all he didn't call him a runaway slave, and David's response is, "Oh, let's get strapped." And he tell you know anybody who live in an urban area know what it means when we finna get strapped. That means we getting our weapons and we going out to do some damage. And the word tonight is, don't fool with them. Mm-hmm. Don't fool with them. See, remember Mama and them used to say, there are certain people I just don't fool with. And we used to think, they're using bad grandma. But what they, what they, what they were teaching us is that we should not act like fools because they fools. And that's what this lesson teaches us tonight. We are not to act like fools. When somebody acts like a fool with us, it does not give us license to be a fool. God did not call you to be a fool. God did not call you to show your moral inferiority. As a matter of fact, we are placed on this earth and given the rules and regulations, the laws of God, so we can show moral superiority, not inferiority. When we live lives according to the way that God lays them out for us, obedient, faithful, blessing people and not cursing them, we show forth God in our life, his moral law, his moral superiority. And I know that there's people out there right now that say, well, wait a minute, we're not under the law, we're under grace. Wrong. We are no longer under the law's requirements for sacrifices, but we are under the moral code. Yeah. Well, now, preacher, how can you say that? Go to go 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 and have a conversation with Jesus. Remember when he was asked, "Which is the greatest law of all? Which is the greatest commandment of all?" He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy being. And the second law is what? And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And he goes on further to say, All the laws of the prophets are wrapped up in this. Hmm? And so we are still accountable. And that's why in this Bible study, we always trace it back to what did God see? And let me tell you this. What did Jesus say? He says, uh, this word, not one jot or tittle of it is going to pass away. I came to fulfill it all. And he gives us his spirit that allows us to do what the law couldn't do. What could the law do? The law couldn't help us be good. It could tell us we was bad and tell us that we needed Jesus, but it did not give us that which we needed to overcome and be obedient. And so when God sends his son and he dies on the cross, he releases the Holy Spirit who now empowers us to walk upright before God according to the word that he gives us. Yes. It right there. And so if you look around right now, all these murders and all this killing and stuff, I dare us to start teaching these kids what thus saith the Lord and training them in righteousness and release and as they say, releasing the Holy Ghost in their life. Oh, we'll stop this pop pop bang bang stuff in Chicago in a hurry. Let me go further. So David sits out to get revenge. And the reason why he wants revenge is, number one, he feels like Nabal has returned evil for his good. Secondly, he feels as if Nabal has broken the law. And since Nabal, wait, you, so you say, wait a minute, how did Nabal break the law? Turn, to, turn over to Leviticus 2535. Remember, these people knew the word. They were 
trained in the word. David is trained in the word of God. Look at what the law says in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 35. Turn quickly. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 35. It says, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and a stranger so they can continue to live among you. So the law required Nabal to give David because David is an Israelite. Not only is David an Israelite, but he can. They're in the same tribe. So Nabal had, David didn't have, and he was asking. What else? Deuteronomy 24:14. Turn there. It says, do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. That's Deuteronomy 24:14. So, David had worked, he had, he had been a protector for um, Nabal. He hadn't, you know, they didn't have a formal contract, but he had worked for Nabal, and, all he, and he wasn't coming to collect his pay. He was like, look, man, you got, I don't have anything. You, you, why don't you share with me? And Nabal said, man, you ain't nothing but a runaway slave. Look at Mark 12, 30 and 31. Because I know a lot of times, even after I give the explanation of how what we're supposed to do, a lot of people still get hung up on that that law versus grace thing, and they say, "Well, I ain't under the law, so I'm not under obligation to do anything." Anybody, listen to this: what it says, uh, verse thirty, chapter Mark, chapter twelve, verse thirty. It says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength." The second is this: love your neighbor. As yourself, there is no commandment greater than these. So, what is the word saying? It says, "Be concerned about your neighbor." Here, neighbor is getting fat and prosperous, and he thinks he's being shrewd by not paying up, by not sharing, by he's not recognizing the word of God. And so, uh, he done pissed David off, and David saying, "Okay, that's the way you want to play. Let's play. I'm gonna show you shrewd." I'm going to show you, Slick, we about to take your stuff. You, we asked you for just a piece of it, and you are not giving anything. And literally what David is doing is David is acting a fool because he is about to take revenge. When we take revenge, what we do is we push God out of the way, and we decide that we're going to be the judge, we're going to be the jury, and we're going to be the executioner. When we decide that that person that has got on our nerves, that girl that we've just been helping and helping and helping, and finally we just, and she won't act right and she won't do right, and we finally decide, I'm going to get her. She didn't cross me one time too many. When we decide that we're going to lay in wait for some cat that have done us wrong, loaned him my lawnmower, he tore my stuff up, and all I asked him to do was come over here and help me hold this two-by-four while I do this, and he can't even do that. Oh, I wish he would ask me to do something. As a matter of fact, he better not get in my face no more. I'm going to get him back. That is revenge. And you can, play, you can take it even further than that. And God is saying, I didn't call you to do that. That's foolishness. Who made you the judge? When did I tell you to judge? As a matter of fact, I specifically told you to judge not that ye be not judged. You ain't qualified. You don't know what I'm doing. And when we decide that we're going to be the judge, we step into the place of God. We start trying to make ourselves God. We know better than God. We know we got God's timing. We can do whatever we feel like. And we just being a fool. And I am telling you tonight, don't fool with them. David want him some revenge. But 
meantime, while David is getting his 400 people all together, and they're getting ready to go down there, and they're getting ready to wipe them out. Listen to this. One of the servants, I'm at verse 14. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messages from the desert to give our master his greeting. You see, when he came in there, remember that passage back there? He came and he blessed everything around him. He spoke well over everything that was Nabal's. That's that evil for good thing that we were talking about. David sent messages from the desert to give our master his greeting, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us all the time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seals of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and two hundred cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. What does Abigail do? What does Abigail do? Abigail, this intelligent, smart woman, does not play the fool. She gets into an intercessory position. She don't fool with Nabal. She said, mm, no, uh-uh. Because what did the servant say? There is disaster over our house right now. David's going to come here. He's going to wreck some stuff. He gives the testimony of David. He, he, she doesn't bother with him. Why doesn't she bother with him? Look at Proverbs 15, 5. A fool spurns a parent's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. She doesn't bother with Nabal because she knows Nabal's not going to pay any attention to her. Mm-mm. She is going to do something. She is interceding for her house. I just spoke a word there. There's a word there. Sometimes when there's somebody in your life that is playing the fool, that is flirting with death, that's going to take you down, that's going to take your household down, you don't have time to sit up there and negotiate with them and try to persuade them. You better get on your knees and get before God and intercede before your household. That's free right there. Abigail intercedes, but she's not only interceding for Nabal, she's also interceding for David. Let me show you. What, why? Why is that? Because David's about to break the law. What does the, what does the law say? Now remember that there is a law that says that 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 Nabal has should be giving David something, either pay or a gift, because he got and David don't. But there's also a law that applies to David, and that law is found in Leviticus 19:18. It says this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Look, look here. Look at Proverbs twenty four twenty nine. Do not say, I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back for what they did. That's Proverbs twenty four twenty nine. So look, David is about to give evil for evil. He's getting ready to break the word of the Lord. And Abigail intercedes. Abigail says, uh-uh, no, 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 no. We got to stop this mess right here, right now. And for those of you who say, well, you know, that's the Old Testament and this doesn't apply to me. I've told you already that it does apply to you. And, oh, by the way, many of the things you read in the New Testament, many of the commandments that you read in the New Testament are just mere restatements of the old. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Look, when we move into that place where we're trying to get revenge, we 
playing the fool with a fool. And what mama them say, don't fool with them. Mm-mm, don't fool with them. Look, again, you're moving into the place of judgment. And what does the Bible say concerning that? Moving into the place of judgment. Look, turn to Deuteronomy 33, 35. It says, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. You see, God is going to wait. God gives space and time. He said, uh-uh, it's not time. It ain't time. I still got mercy. I still got grace. I'm still trying to work some stuff out in their life. I'm still allowing them to make some decisions. I'm still revealing myself to them. I'm letting them reap what they sow. I'm trying to bring them into a position where they can receive my goodness and my mercy. I'm trying to get them into a position where they can get into a a position of worship, a position of obedience, where faith can be developed. Am I helping somebody? Oh, bless the Lord. I know I've helped myself. Let's go further. Abigail has interceded, not just for Nabal, but she's interceding for David. Let's go back to the word. We've got about 12 minutes left. Let's go back to the word. Go to verse 20. I don't know if we're going to finish this today, but that's all right. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, And she met them. David had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is Fool, and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. So the first thing she does is she takes the blame on herself. Then she says, Now since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. In other words, may they be a fool. May they be treated like fools. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living By the Lord your God, but the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. Look at this, Abigail. First of all, she intercedes for her household by taking the blame on herself and asking for forgiveness. Secondly, she pronounces to David, she says, 
the Lord. See, she brings, she immediately says, the Lord's in this thing. She said, the Lord kept you from bloodshed. The Lord has your life bound securely in the bundle of the living. Look, look, she's basically pointing David back to God. As she bows and prostrates herself before him and begs forgiveness, she reminds him that it is God who is in control of your life. And even now, it's God that's keeping you from doing wrong. Oh, God will keep you if you want to be kept. And then she moves further by confirming the word that is already on David's life. He said, what did she say? She said, the Lord will make you a lasting dynasty. She said, the lives of your enemies he will hurl away like they're in a slingshot. He said, and he says, before God, forgive. Mm-hmm. She, she encourages him, forgive. She said, let go of this thing. That's what forgiveness means. Let it go. Let it be carried away. You see, a lot of times we mess up our destiny carrying around stuff that don't belong to us. David's destiny is at stake. And she is telling them, if you do this thing right here, you're about to mess up. When you fool with them, when you fool with a fool, you become like a fool. And that's why Jesus tells us to forgive them. Don't carry this mess around with you. Forgiveness, you've heard me say it so many times, forgiveness is not for you. Forgiveness is for the other person. Forgiveness is for you. You let that alone. You like a when you hold on to especially something like revenge, you like a dog with a piece of with a hot piece of meat in his mouth. It's burning you and you just won't let it go. Let that thing go. Revenge and, and unforgiveness will kill you. Let me go further. Free yourself from that burden of revenge. And then what does he say? When God completes his word in you, when you come into the fullness of his promise, the things that were, that you're you going to come with a clear conscience. You ain't got to go in there saying, oh, I shouldn't have did that. I shouldn't have did that. Because you didn't do it. I shouldn't have fooled with him. I shouldn't have killed all them people up. Because you didn't do it. Hmm? And then finally she says, and oh, I got a request. When you come into everything, remember your servant. Remember me. I was used by God to help you get to your place, help you get to your destiny. I want to just stop just for half a second, and I want to tell you something. When we fail to walk in faith and obedience to the word of God, we delay the, our arrival to our destiny. That's a word right there. When we can't trust God, when we try to take it into our own hands, what we are doing is we are delaying the fulfillment of the promise. Illustration, quick one, 40 years in the desert because they couldn't Obey the word of the Lord. They didn't move by faith. They moved by sight. They moved by their feelings. And what did it get them? Y'all can't go in. David is facing a moment just like that. And perhaps you're facing a moment like that because you want to get somebody or you want to take this thing into your own hands or you want to do it your way. You've got to obey and move by faith. What does the Bible say? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And he is a rewarder of them. Come on. Do you see, what, do you see what's happening here? 
And that's why we can't afford to get out of the faith. We can't afford to do things our way. We must be obedient to the word of the Lord. Amen? Let's finish this off. David, I'm at verse 32. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted her from her hand what she brought him and said, Go in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Abigail blesses David, and David in turn blesses her. He says, Go in peace. Go in safety. Go assured that everything is all right. I'm, I'm rushing to the end because I've got about three minutes left. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk, so she told him nothing until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. You see, David was going to avenge himself. But God, God says, time out. Your time is up, Nabal. God struck Nabal down himself. God judged Nabal. Now, don't get all happy and everything because, you know, that's not what God wants. God's not interested in, in killing anybody. Mm-mm. What did it say? It says, First uh, Peter 3, 8 and 10. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. You see, God is trying to call these men, these these fools, to repentance. And we want to hurry up and do something with them. But what if the Lord had hurried up with us and judged us? Mm -mm. So what our job is is to give them life, is to forgive them, is to not fool with them, not act a fool with them, but instead to bless them. Nabal was having a party, and he had a party, they say, like a king. Nabal gets the news, and Nabal dies. So what Let me see if I can get this out. Just, what do we learn tonight? Just because they act like fools does not give you an excuse to act like a fool with them. Don't fool with them. Bless them. Secondly, for David, a king, us, priests and kings, must not be morally deficient. We can't afford to act like fools. Our destiny is in moral superiority. Saul, when we measure Saul, Saul's neighbor, he's a fool. Thirdly, a king must not be burdened by the sin of revenge. We must abide in the word by faith. We must stay within the plan of God for life. God is the God of mercy and love but he'll also judge. And finally, God's plan for man is repentance, to call all men unto him. And we must participate in that plan. Don't fool with them. Amen? So with that said, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We pray that you will allow it to sink deep down into our hearts would do that which is right in your eyes. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
That concludes our lesson for tonight. I pray that you were blessed as I have been blessed uh, through his word. I pray that you not only understand what's going on in this episode, but that you also um, take yourself to